Thank you, Evan and Matt and Don and elders for um, your willingness to just slow us down and uh, soften our hearts through that time of prayer. Uh, good morning. My name is Micah, if you don't know me. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing our study of Paul's letter uh, to the Thessalonians. Today we're picking up where Doug left off, beginning in chapter thir- uh, verse 13 of chapter of 1 Thessalonians. But before I begin, I also would like to, uh, to pray. Father, we are broken cisterns, we are jars of clay, privy pots, we bring nothing to you, and yet we hold this message of truth and joy, the hope, the promise that your son has given us, Father. As we look at this passage today um, about the end times, I think of your son's declaration Behold, I have made all things new, and we look forward to that. We thank you, Father, you are worthy. You are um, perfect, holy, righteous. Your promises are wonderful. I ask that you would be glorified today as we look into your word and pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. How many of you are fascinated by the topic of the end times? I mean, if you had to pick between the topic of the end times or God's law, you know, end times, the tribulation, the rapture, the, you know, for the last four years, Donald Trump has been the Antichrist, and for the next four years, Joe Biden will be the Antichrist. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, it goes to the end times in your mind. Well, if that's you, today is your lucky day, because that's what our passage has to do with. Let's read the passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We're going to read all the way into chapter 5, ending at verse 11. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, And with the sound of the trumpet of God, in the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. 
We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. In the 19th century, there was a man named William Miller. And he, like people for the last 2,000 years since Christ has, a, has ascended into heaven, he was one of many who prophesied that the rapture would occur. William Miller's prophecy was that it would happen in the year 1843. This was during the Great Awakening. So during this spiritual revival, a lot of people had a real appetite for this type of teaching. It became known as Millerism. So, in fact, I think we have a picture. Yeah. Oh, wait. Wrong Miller. That's Matt and Paula. My, my apologies. But it appears that those sweaters are from that era, about 1843. Well, this guy, William Miller, he attracted over 100,000 followers. On the day that they expected the rapture to occur, some of them climbed up mountains so they could be that much closer to Jesus when he came down from the heavens to rapture them up. Some of them lied down in cemeteries next to their loved ones so they could be raptured together with their loved one who had already passed. You know what happened on that day? Nothing. I remember in 1988... A book called 88 Reasons While Christ Will, While the Rapture Will Be in 1988. That book came out. That was the 40th anniversary of the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. It sold nearly 5 million copies. And the author insisted that the rapture would happen on that year during Rosh Hashanah, the, new, the Jewish New Year. I was a senior at a Christian high school during this time. It's a soul searching leading up to the state. Do you know what happened? Nothing. Some people are obsessed with the rapture. Volumes of books have been written about it. How many of you have read Left Behind? I have. Books written about it, movies made, and you name, you can't name the amount of false prophecies that have come and gone regarding when the rapture will happen. I don't know what it is about the end times that leads so many people to make such silly predictions, but they do, and a lot of Christians eat it up because we're fascinated by these thoughts of the wrath, the end times, the tribulation, Christ's second coming. Apparently, the church in Thessalonica wasn't any different. They seem to have the same sorts of questions. When will the rapture occur? What will happen to those who have already died? When will the day of the Lord happen? In fact, this topic of the end times is one of the main themes in this book that we're going through, this book of 1 Thessalonians, along with the book of 2 Thessalonians. Paul makes references to Christ's return in every single chapter in this book. 
And in this passage that we just read, it's his entire focus. Because this church in Thessalonica had a lot of questions regarding the end times, Paul starts this this section in response to them saying, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as the others do who have no hope. When Paul refers to those who are asleep, he's talking about Christians who have already died. And his goal is to encourage those of us who are still alive. He doesn't want these new Christians that he's writing to to grieve the way that others do who have no hope. Next slide. When a non loses a loved one, they grieve with no hope because as far as they know, that person is gone. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust to dust, that person no longer exists in their world. But when a loved one uh, is lost and that loved one is a Christian, it's not ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's from earth to heaven. It's from suffering to Savior. And that doesn't mean we don't grieve. We're torn apart when a loved one dies. Even Jesus was The Bible says he was greatly, it says he wept when his friend Lazarus died. But Jesus didn't grieve as others do who have no hope because Jesus, while grieving, he was also about to raise Lazarus back to life. He was about to have Lazarus in his presence again. Just as you and I don't grieve as others do who have no hope when we lose a loved one who was a believer because in the midst of our grief, we have great hope that they are now, like Lazarus, in the presence of our Savior. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul here in verse 14, he's setting the precedent for what he's about to talk about. He's about to talk about the rapture. When Jesus will, in a moment, pluck all the Christians out of this world to meet him in the heavens, and he'll give us new glorified bodies to live with him for all eternity. And the precedent, the main precedent for the rapture to happen is that Jesus Christ himself rose again. Suppose Jesus, that he died for us, that he didn't rise again. Would his death have been enough? Would it have been enough for Jesus to die for our sins and remain in the grave? No. He had to be raised again. He had to be. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church saying, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He wrote in the book of Romans that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If Jesus never rose from the dead, then you and I have no hope of justification. Justified by a sacrifice. And we also have no hope of being raised again to be with him for all eternity. The death 
and resurrection of Jesus is a prerequisite, a precedent for the day when he will raise all of us up to be with him in the clouds. Look at the next verse, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. A word from the Lord. That's the other precedent. A word from the Lord. This whole topic of the rapture, it wasn't merely Paul's idea. It wasn't his speculation. It was God's revelation to Paul. Paul didn't come up with this idea by reading left behind. The promise of the rapture was revealed to Paul by God. A word from the Lord, he writes. He continues in verse 15 to talk about the participants, those who will participate in the coming rapture. He says, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when the Lord calls us to be with him, both we who are alive and those who have fallen asleep, those who have already died, will be gathered to him. For the Lord himself Verse 16, will the heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. It doesn't sound like anybody's going to miss this event. If you're a Christian, you don't, happen, you don't have to worry that you're going to miss out on the rapture. It's not going to be some hidden secret covert event. There will be a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the sound of a trumpet of God. Trumpets were sounded for all sorts of reasons in the Bible. They were sounded for Israel's feasts, for celebrations, for large gatherings, for big announcements. When the rapture happens, it will be all of these things, the greatest celebration Christians have ever known. Look at the last part of verse 16. In the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul here in that statement, he's addressing some of the fears that the Thessalonian Christians had regarding their loved ones who had already died. Will they be raptured too or are they going to miss it? And Paul is putting them at ease with this statement. Saying they're not going to miss it. All Christians both alive and dead, will be called up to be with Christ on that day. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Comforting words, we will always be with the Lord. That is our future as Christians. You ever wonder where the word rapture comes from it comes from this verse from verse 17 the words caught up mean to rapture or take away the actual word rapture you won't find it anywhere in the bible it's not in the bible but it's described in a handful of passages this being the main one paul wrote in first corinthians we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed why is paul even bringing up this topic of the rapture 
I mean, what's his purpose? Why even go there? Just a couple of verses ago, we saw in last week's passage during Doug's sermon, it had nothing to do with this. He was talking about purity. And now all of a sudden he jumps from that topic to this topic of the end times, the rapture. Why even go there? Verse 18 tells us, therefore encourage one another with these words. Paul's purpose isn't to make us fear the end times. It's to encourage us, to get us excited about the date when our Savior raptures us out of this earth, out of these bodies, to be with him for all of eternity, with sinless, flawless, resurrected, eternal bodies. Encourage one another with these words, he says. This is a day that, as Christians, we ought to be longing for. So when will it happen? So far, every person on the planet to predict when it will, be, when it will happen has been wrong. Nobody knows when it will happen. Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 24, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In Acts 1, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. No one knows when the rapture will happen. Many evangelical Christians, although they don't know, they believe that it will happen before the great tribulation occurs. But the Bible isn't even clear on that. In fact, whenever the Bible describes the rapture, it's usually mixed right in with Christ's second coming, which happens after the tribulation. In two other passages on the end times, Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, they both seem to point to the rapture happening when Christ returns, which is after the tribulation. So then why do many Christians believe that the rapture will happen before the tribulation? The reason that you might hear is that God would never subject his people to such a horrific time as the great tribulation. And to that reasoning I say, really? You're going to say that God would really never subject his people to such a tough time? Tell that to Isaiah who was sawed in half. Tell that to Jeremiah who was thrown in a pit and left for dead. Tell that to the apostle John who was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and miraculously survived only to be exiled onto an island where he then wrote the book on the tribulation. Tell that to Christians in North Korea, in the Middle East today and Africa who right now are being raped, starved tortured, killed for their faith. Go tell them God would never allow his people to go through such a tough time as the tribulation. They're living the tribulation. There's got to be a better reason for why Christians believe that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. Here are four of them. First of all, this very passage, it describes the rapture, what we're talking about in these verses right now, and it's about to the judgment 
as two distinct and separate events. Paul, in these verses, he's speaking first of the rapture, and then he proceeds to talk about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment when Christ returns, which we'll see in a moment. Second reason. The seven churches in the book of Revelation, the first three chapters of Revelation, go through these seven early Christian churches. Well, they are believed by some to be representative of different periods in the church age. If that's true, then the last church mentioned, Laodicea, would would represent the church that has fallen away during the tribulation. Just prior to that one, Philadelphia is a weak but still faithful church, which would be the church leading up to the tribulation. And here's what Jesus said to this church in Philadelphia. He said, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Third reason. The seven-year tribulation period described throughout most of the book of Revelation, throughout chapter 6 through 18 in Revelation. This tribulation period makes no reference to the during this time. The church appears to simply not be there during this time. Fourth reason why a lot of Christians believe the rapture will happen before the great tribulation brings us back again to today's passage, to verse 18, where Paul says, therefore encourage one another with these words. If the rapture is to happen during or after the tribulation, Paul might have wished, uh, he might have said, stop worrying about what's going to happen to the dead and start wishing you were dead. But Paul doesn't write that. Instead, he writes, encourage one another. Because the rapture of God's people to be with him before the tribulation is a great encouragement. Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. That is what we look forward to. That is encouraging. And Paul, here in verse 18, says, encourage one another with these words. Nobody knows when the rapture will occur. And the Bible leaves us debating whether or not it will even happen prior to or after the tribulation. But these are at least four valid reasons why many Christians believe that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. Let's move on to chapter 5. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers... You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Paul just transitioned from a glorious, encouraging event to a tragic and terrible event. He just finished talking about God's people being raptured up to be with Jesus, and he begins talking about the day of the Lord. This phrase, the day of the Lord, it's used a lot in the Bible. It's found 19 times in the Old Testament and four times here in the New Testament. And every time it's used, every time that term, the day of the Lord, is used, it's used to describe the coming judgment 
on the wicked, on those who have rejected Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah said, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. The prophet Joel said, Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And Paul, here in chapter 5, in verse 2, he says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's the same imagery that Jesus used in Matthew 24. And this is a very different tone from what we were just talking about. From when Paul was talking about the rapture in the previous chapter. With that he said, encourage one another. Here he's talking about a thief in the night. A thief in the night is not encouraging. It's sobering. Which makes all of us again ask the question, when will this happen? When will the day of the Lord occur? Nobody knows. Not even the angel, nor the son, but the father only. But unlike the rapture, which will not be preceded by any known signs, there are many signs given in the Bible that will precede the day of the Lord. Here are seven of them. First, the gospel will be spread across the entire world before the day of the Lord occurs. Jesus said in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Second, there will be worldwide rebellion against God. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote, the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Third, the world will be full of turmoil. Jesus said in Matthew 24, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Fourth, we'll see a rise in false prophets. I'm not sure it's possible to have any more false prophets than we have today. But Jesus said again in Matthew 24, he said, many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Fifth, there will be a messenger who, like Elijah, will warn the people. The prophet Malachi wrote, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, this was partly fulfilled during Jesus' first coming by John the Baptist. But it will again be fulfilled to prepare the way for Christ's second coming, possibly by the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. Six, there will be astronomical changes in the sky. The prophet Joel wrote, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In the seventh side, pointing, leading to the day of the Lord, is the coming of the man of lawlessness described in 2 Thessalonians. Or the Antichrist mentioned in Revelation chapter 13. Same person, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. In this man of lawlessness, this Antichrist, he will perform miracles to get the world to worship him. He'll unite the world politically, bringing a time of peace and prosperity. 
And that brings us to verse 3 in our passage in chapter 5 here. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The day of the Lord, the day when all who have rejected Jesus Christ will be judged, is a day that nobody knows when it will occur. But it will be preceded by many signs. And when it does happen, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Here's a question for you. How many different type of people are there in the world? I mean, there are thousands of different ethnic groups. There are hundreds of different religions. There are dozens of different political systems. So how many different types of people are there in the world? We just had an election. And so we know that there are really only two people in the world. Those who hate the outcome and those who love the outcome, right? Well... Spiritually speaking, there are only two types of people in the world. So far in this passage, Paul has mentioned two very different events. The glorious rapture in the terrible day of the Lord. Two different events for two different types of people. Those who are saved look forward to the rapture. Those who are not saved will be judged on the day of the Lord. Look at verses 4 and 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul here shows us the two types of people. Children of the light and children of the night. Children of the light have fear the coming day of the Lord. Children of the night do. Children of the light will be raptured out of our present bodies and caught up in the clouds to be with our Savior and given new and glorified bodies. Children of the night won't. This is great news for the Christian. You and I don't need to fear the day of the Lord because we won't be a part of God's judgment. Instead, we can long for the rapture because we're children of the light. Isaiah wrote, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Just as Paul here in verse 4 wrote, you are not in darkness. Because Christians have been given an entirely different nature. Children of the light. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and behold the new has come. Children of the light. And as children of the light, we're expected to walk in the light. In other words, our character should be matched by our conduct. Jesus told the crowd who followed him, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, as children of light, we're called to walk not in darkness, but to walk in the light. Paul describes the conduct of the children of the light in verse 6. So then let us not sleep, he says, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. As Christians, we're called to keep awake, 
to be alert, using our minds, being aware of what's around us. We're also called to be sober, to be self-controlled, not complacent, free from sinful influences. It's the opposite of what Paul then describes in verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. The light, awake, sober. Children of the night, asleep, drunk. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. There's some words we've heard before in the Bible. Breastplate of faith and love, a helmet of hope, of salvation. These are the three greatest virtues of Christian conduct, according to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul said, so now faith, hope, and abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And here in verse 8, we see that faith and love make up the breastplate. They protect our hearts. And hope is our helmet. It protects our minds. Paul ends this section with more encouragement for the new, uh, the, these new Christians in this Thessalonian church. In verses 9 and 10, he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You know the most sobering truth in the whole Bible is that the day of the Lord is coming when God will judge the wicked and sentence them to hell for all eternity. And the most comforting truth in the whole Bible is God will save those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There will come a day when the children of the night here depart from me, you cursed into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But the children of the light will not hear those words. They will hear, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This topic of the end times, it's to be an encouragement to you and I who are Christians. Because we have no need to fear the day of the Lord. We have every reason to encourage one another, one another up. Because we will not suffer God's wrath. Jesus did for us. And one day we'll be caught up, raptured out of this world. Whether we're dead or alive. Both will be resurrected into a new life. To inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is why I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian so that I can have a nice life here on this earth. 
Why would I choose to do that? Why would I choose to follow Jesus if all it brought me was mocking and ridicule here in this lifetime? Christian, because I long for the day that my Savior will rapture me out of this world and bring me into his kingdom where I will worship him and serve him freely. I will no longer be encumbered by my pride and my selfishness and my rebellion because I'll be freed from my sinful flesh that I now wear. And I'll be given a pure mind and a pure heart inside a resurrected body. That is why I'm a Christian. A child of the light. Next slide, please. Which person are you? Are you a child of the light? Do you long to be with your Savior? You will be. You will be. But only He knows when. And until that day, you and I are called to encourage one another and to build one another up. Or are you a child of the night? Do you follow yourself instead of a Savior? If this is you, the day of the Lord is coming and you will not escape. But you can become a child of the light today by putting your faith in Jesus. You do not need to remain in darkness. You can become a child of the light by putting your faith in Jesus, the one who said, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Which person are you? Are you a child of the light or a child of night? And sisters in Christ, I say, encourage one another to repeat what Paul said. To those who are of the night still in darkness, I say, repent. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are God and there is no other. I may want to be, all of us may want to be in control. You are in control. You set the times and the seasons. You know the day when your son will gloriously return all things new and to judge the wicked. Father, I ask that you would help us to be greatly encouraged, those of us who know you, knowing that we look forward to a glorious future. We will be freed from all that holds us back, our flesh, our sinful nature, our desire to run from you, we won't have that. We will, we will rejoice in being in your presence for all eternity. Let us encourage one another with these words, Lord God. For those who don't know you, I ask that you would draw them to their knees before you. Make them also child of the light through what only your son he purchased on the cross for us and guaranteed in his resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. 
We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.